Welcome to the New Jersey Department of Education's Bureau of Bilingual ESL Education Podcast. I'm Ken Bond, a State Program Coordinator and your host. In this podcast, I have bite-sized conversations about English language learner education with leaders in the field. During this episode, I'll be talking with Mary Kern about managing linguistically diverse classrooms. Mary is an Associate Professor of Practice in Language Education and directs the Office of Local Global Partnerships at Rutgers Graduate School of Education. Mary, thanks for being my guest on today's episode. Thank you, Ken, for inviting me to talk to you. I really enjoyed listening to the previous podcast. Thank you so much. As someone who leads many of Rutgers' relationships with worldwide education partners, could you tell me how those partnerships inform your thinking about education in New Jersey? Mm-hmm. Well, I have to begin by saying that whenever I teach a class uh, to prospective teachers, I always say that I never believe a class should stay within the four walls of the classroom, that we need to be linking what we do to the community, and you know that happens through partnerships. And those partnerships need to be built on trust that's developed between the two organizations and partners and to be uh, grounded in mutually beneficial activities. And when you're able to do that, then I think there's a lot of learning that comes out of the partnerships. We take in the activities that I'm involved in a funds of knowledge approach where you're looking at the resources that every partner, every individual, every student, family, community brings to, to an activity. And so in terms of the global partnerships, there's a lot that we learn here. For example, I just returned from a trip that I went on with students from Rutgers. We were at a high school and university in Mexico, and the high school is focused on community-based learning. So their whole curriculum for the three years of high school there in Mexico, the students uh, learn how to identify issues in the community, they learn how to respond to them, uh, they design projects, they're actively involved in giving back to the community. So we, as you know, future teachers, are actively learning about how to do something similar in our schools. In Mexico also, for anyone who goes to, to college, uh, you're required to do a year of community service afterwards. It's called Servicio Social. So what a wonderful thing. You know, you do your four-year degree, and then you give back a year. So those are the kind of things we can be learning from educational institutions and organizations abroad, and here in the local community, too. That's wonderful. With all of that in mind, how would you define a linguistically diverse student in a New Jersey school? That's really a great question, and I think, in a way, I kind of want to turn the question on its head because each and every one of us is linguistically diverse, right? If you're listening to me right now, you may be able to tell which part of the nation I came from. You know, the Midwestern part of me is here in my English. And so there are multiple Englishes, there are multiple Spanishes. You know, within languages, there are a lot of varieties and dialects. Each student in the classroom is linguistically diverse. And then at the same time, like you said, we need to learn a lot about those students. Are they coming from homes where multiple languages are being used? Are the parents uh, newer immigrants to the US where English is a newer language for them? So, you know, it's complex. There are a lot of different ways to identify the linguistic diversity in the classroom. So I don't know if I'm not answering your question, but I think that teachers really need to be aware that there's not like one typical linguistically diverse student, and even students who are using English come from linguistically diverse backgrounds too. 
So if I understand you correctly, there's there's almost lots of different spectrums that students exactly. can be on, and, and they can be on those spectrums and continuums at different times. Right. For, you know, in different ways at right. the same time. Exactly. And I think it all boils down to the teacher having to do the hard work of getting to know those students and the linguistic resources they bring to the classroom from uh, the English they use, from the home languages that are at their disposal, from the community languages that are there too. Something that you've emphasized about classroom management with linguistically diverse students is getting comfortable with laughter and first language use from students coming from the various language backgrounds that we have mm -hmm. here in New Jersey. How can teachers shift their current practices and the current ways they interact with students to allow space for some of those things like laughter or maybe some silliness, some first language use in the classroom? Right. That's a great, great question, too. Um, we know some teachers do feel threatened or uncomfortable if students are speaking another language in the classroom. And one of the activities that we like to do here at the Graduate School of Education are language simulations. So we have our students come in and they have to operate in a language that's not their language, uh, their first language, or a language that they feel extremely comfortable in. And then we see that they laugh and they feel uncomfortable and they might speak in English to say, what's going on here? Can you explain this to me or help me with that? And it really helps to understand that laughter, um, that discomfort is really a normal, natural reaction to being in a situation where, you know, you're not sure what's going on and the language is not a language that you have a high proficiency in. So I think that's something that really is helpful for teachers. And I would say that for any teacher uh, to always be learning an additional language and knowing what that feels like to learn an additional language is important. To put yourself in contexts where you're not 100% sure of what's happening and you're trying to follow a language that's a little bit of a reach for you is helpful so that we know more about the experience. I know when I was teaching, you know, sometimes I'd have students who would be kind of in the back laughing right. and, and I'd be, you know, working with them and learning about them and learning about their background. Where do you think, though, that teachers should draw a line when it comes to laughter and first language use in class? You know, they, they want to allow students to express themselves. They also want to make sure that everyone in the classroom is able to get what they need from, from the lesson and not distracted. So right. how, how would you navigate that in a classroom? Right. Well, the classroom needs to be a learning space, right, where the learning is at the core. And so um, that should be, you know, one of the most important criteria is, is it a space where we're focused on learning? We know a lot of learning happens when emotions are allowed in the classroom. Being able to connect with emotion seems to, research shows, helps us remember material and, you know, store it. So we want there to be laughter, we want there to be joy, we want there to be a social experience that's positive. But like you're saying, you know, it can't be uh, something that's happening at the cost of learning or that's too distracting for students. It's always that sort of tension. I think when students know that you are joining in with the laughter and respecting that um, emotional social space, you know, hopefully they'll be there working with you on the learning. But if the laughter is happening in a kind of bullying type of experience or at someone's cost or disrespectful, that's a completely different thing. So that's the, the teacher's call there. That's, those are really helpful distinctions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
So how should teachers approach a situation in which linguistically diverse students are getting upset or declining to respond, seem really stressed out? How, mm -hmm. how, how do you approach a situation like that in a classroom? Right. Um, well, I think that certainly warrants teachers' attention. Sometimes it's easy to ignore the student who's quiet or just seems a little bit upset, but um, I think the teacher needs to make sure that's on their radar to start zeroing on, a, on that student and really to learn more about that student. Um, there was a woman who taught here at Rutgers a while ago, Cheryl Devine, who worked at the Rutgers Livingston Daycare Center, and she would teach some of the early elementary classes. But she said something that stayed with me, and she said how the little children would come to the daycare center, and sometimes she'd find a student who maybe seemed upset, disturbed, something seemed wrong, or she just didn't click with that student. And she said she made a commitment to focus more on that student and really learn and get to know that student, sort of follow them around. And she said, you know, I found by the end of that student's time with us, it would be one of the students that I'd connected the most with. And I've really taken that into my practice as well. And I feel like the students who I either see struggling or a little bit disconnected and who I work to make the connection with, uh, I, I grow in my own understanding of them a kind of bond and fondness that develops, and I'm able to connect with them and advise them and teach better. So I would recommend teachers to try to do that, and it's um, it's not being scared of the silence or a student that seems disrespectful, but trying to find out really what's at the root and the cause and how you can find a way to connect. Mm -hmm. That connection is so important. Mm -hmm. I've just seen classrooms and working in classrooms, seeing teachers who will you know, build those individual connections with students and mm -hmm. kind of pull them aside if something's wrong instead of kind of calling it out in front of the whole class or exactly. something like that. It can make such a big difference in a student's life to feel like someone is individually invested in them and in who they are. Right. And uh, it can be especially difficult if there's language that's different, you know, between a teacher and a student and it's hard to make that connection yeah. through language, but you know, I think that even just the facial expressions and right. and the warm body language can can go a long way to doing exactly what you talked right. about. And if it is a linguistic or cultural issue as well, I think it's not only about getting to know the student and building the bond, but then learning more about the student and the families and the community uh, so that we understand what um, both the resources that those community members are bringing and then the challenges too that they may be facing or what might be some common difficulties coming from a certain part of the world to classrooms in the United States. So what are some ideas that you've shared with your teacher educators that are related to how to structure classroom routines and activities to further a feeling of comfort for students so that they really have something to dig into and feel like, yeah, I know when I get into school, these things are gonna happen. This is what my day will look like. Right, and I think you already just sort of said it too, <laughs> right? Because that's what it's all about. Not Nobody wants to be suddenly surprised, put on the spot to feel like you don't know what's going on, especially the older you get as a student. And so for a student to be able to come and expect a routine um, to be 
to be having the comfort that someone's there who cares about them and is going to cue them in, so not feeling like they're there and invisible in the class, but everybody in the classroom knows that it's their job to help support the newcomer to the class. And I think a teacher can take a really special role in that, highlighting that to everyone. First of all, by modeling it to the rest of the students, but then even indicating um, how excited and important it is that they are having a new student from a certain part of the world joining them, seeing that as a value, and then also maybe identifying certain students to help that student at different moments in the day, right, to get the transitions, which could be really difficult, moving from one activity to another, one part of the building to another. So having predictable routines, uh, assigning students who can help support those students are really good ideas as well. Um, and then involving the own students in the classroom management and coming up with rules, even thinking about, you know, we know we're getting a student or some students next week from a certain part of the world. What could we do to help make the transition better? Um, from my travels to schools around the world, I find that other places are often much better at welcoming than we are here in the United States. And uh, we often don't go out of our way to make people feel welcome or to express interest or to um, have a lot of generosity with time or efforts. And that's not true of everyone, and I think um, in the ESL profession especially, but I do think that if we could help the students, all of the students, become better welcomers, become better sympathetic interlocutors, people who know how to interact with people for whom English isn't their first language, um, and understand that we're all emerging bilinguals in some way, coming back to that question about linguistic diversity, I think we'll all be much better as far as um, all of our intercultural competence and ability to learn from and work together with people who are different than we are. And, and that's a great point related to routines, because often, mm -hmm. so so many times routines are related to very organized days where there's no time for real interaction, but mm -hmm. building that interaction in and that time for dialogue and discussion and intercultural ex exchanges yeah. is a wonderful, wonderful perspective to take. So in what ways is classroom culture related to classroom management for linguistically diverse students? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, I often find out that when I'm talking about classroom, you know, organization or even, you know, good strategy, teaching strategies, pedagogy in general, whatever is good for the linguistically diverse students, always good for all of the students, right? Like the discussion we just had about, um, you know, helping everybody become better at intercultural communication. But I do think that... Um, you know, creating that welcoming classroom, the classroom that students feel respected and valued, who they are as an individual, their home language, their home culture is valued, that certainly is helpful. In classroom organization, the idea is that the teacher is not like controlling and managing. In fact, we don't use the word managing so much anymore um, because you really want the students to be self-regulating, but to have a student self-regulate they need to be engaged, interested, so really good planning for instruction, uh, moving 
smoothly from one activity in terms of the transition to the next to keep the students engaged and focusing on meaningful activities and ones that zero in on the students and is age appropriate or interest appropriate. So when you get to know those students really well, you can uh, come up with thematic units or projects that you know will bring them in. That also lowers the issues you're gonna have with, you know, taking care of the students in the classroom or disruptions. So I think it's, it's all sort of together. The, the good planning and preparation eliminates some of the issues you're gonna have with the students and then it also creates the welcoming, respectful, respectful environment at the same time. Mary, uh, this information has been so great to engage with and you're really an expert on this, so it's been great to be able to dialogue with you. Well, thank you for including me in these conversations. I really enjoyed the talk as well, too. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you like this episode, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Also, please leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app. It helps new listeners find the show. If you would like more information about ESL and bilingual education in New Jersey, please visit our website at www.nj.gov forward slash education forward slash bilingual.